by Chemistry， 来自化学。Hello everyone and welcome to brought to you by Chemistry. What's brought to you by Chemistry? I might hear you ask. Complicated reactions, complicated exams, even more complicated romances. Yes, but also in this case, it is a new podcast series from the Royal Society of Chemistry. So you see the branding there. It's very, very simple. Now today we are talking about recycling. Where does your plastic go? What does it turn into? And how much of what we put into the recycling bin actually gets recycled? Now, as you can hear from the chipper tones in my voice, I have zero idea how it works, but I know of three people who probably have a bit more of an idea of the facts. I have Professor Mike Shaver, Director of the Sustainable Materials Innovation Hub at the Henry Royce Institute, Shirley Rodriguez. Deputy Mayor of London for Environment and Energy, and Council Member Just David, Member Advocate for Biodiversity. So let's get it started. Now, recycling to me, it's magic, right? You put your recyclables in the recycling bin, and then the recycling van comes and collects your recyclables and puts it in a recycling plant, and then your recyclables are recycled. Maybe there's a person involved. I do not know. So Shirley, I'm going to start with you. I have just recycled my recyclables. A bottle of milk is in my recycling bin. What happens to it from then on? Well, first thing is, I hope you might have rinsed it first, just because it's a bit dirty and it contaminates other、um, things that might be recycled in the same、um, sort of、uh, materials package.、Um, but once you do that, and it's been collected.、Um, By、um, the waste management team from your local authority,、um, and in London,、um, all London boroughs are required to collect at least、um, the, the same six set of materials, and one of those is plastic. So you will, you know, anywhere in London,、um, you can、uh, recycle your plastic milk bottles. That's not necessarily true of everything else. So we might touch onto that a little bit later.、Um, but once it's then、uh, picked up,、um, the other things it could be picked up either in a, a wheelie bin. From a wheelie bin or from a plastic sack, that's another issue. It's not a consistent approach in London, but either way, it's collected and then it's taken by the collection crew to、um, a recycling centre, what we call a materials recycling facility, or a MRF.、Um, the 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 people in the know call it. I'm not necessarily one of those people in the know, but they call it a MRF. A MRF, not a Smurf. A MRF. Okay. Okay. Then, do you want me to carry on? I I'd love for you to carry on. I'm learning so much already. We're only three minutes in. So I've actually been to see one of these births, and if you ever get a chance to visit them, you know they have open days and so on. They're absolutely amazing.、Um, and you know, in terms of the recycling、uh, or, or how they sort it, when it goes into the births, the plastic everything gets dumped into this sort of big sort of processing machine. They use optical. Um, sorting machines to shine lights through the the various things that go down this sort of、um, conveyor belt, and then they use compressed air based on I don't know what, but maybe Mike might be able to help with this. But basically, they manage to sort out different sorts of plastics from cans, and using compressed air, they sort of puff it away into different sort of streams, and then that gets collected with all the other bottles of the same type,、um, and then they're all baled、uh, into、um, large cubes of Bales or whatever, and then sold onto a plastics reprocessor, and that usually gets taken off somewhere else.、Um, you know, ideally not too far away, so that we minimise all those miles of travelling across roads. But not always.、Uh, that's not always the case. And then they sort of melt the plastic down.、Um, you know, sort of flake it, and then they they reform it into small pellets、um, that they, and then used basically as a sort of raw material for more milk bottles or other things. In fact. 
Um, so then it's a sort of circular process. That's incredible. And like, you know, it might sound like I'm being sarcastic or facetious or whatever, mm. but like, it's a thing that happens. And I know it's happened and I've been doing it since I was a kid, but to actually hear it and to know that it happens at a place called a Murph, um, which I'm with childlike glee, I'm going to take that and use it everywhere. <laughs> now, Jess, you've got the smile on your face of someone that either has or has avoided going to a Murph. Have you been to a Murph before? I, I haven't been to a Murph, but um, I, I guess we've got a slightly different system in our local authority um, because probably we've got a little bit more space uh, generally for um, curbside collections that um, we ask residents to a lot to do a lot of sorting for us. So um, instead of all the recyclers going together in one big bag, which then needs to go to your Murph, um, uh, we have a system, quite a complicated system of different green boxes and bags. Um, and we ask our residents to sort plastics and cans into one box and then paper and bottles into another. Um, and then when the recycling van comes, they then sort again into different sections of a of the vehicle. Um, and then I think that, that just slightly reduces um, the risk of contamination and means that we can go a little bit uh, more smoothly onto the reprocessing stage. Um, but we do, of course, have some residents in flats. Um, and so a small portion of our waste uh, does go to a MRF. Okay, so at least you know what a MRF is. Good. That's I do, and I would like to go to one. Okay, Shirley, we can work it out. You two. We're very it? happy to facilitate okay. a visit. There we go. <laughs> we, we, love, we love good MRF visits. But like, Jess, what percentage of plastic actually gets recycled with your constituents and, and is, it, is it a lot is it a little like a lot that's that's really difficult to say because we obviously we don't know how much plastic there is in all of our residents black bin waste and um, what we do track is the amount of household waste that gets recycled um so we know that local authorities are you know generally across the uk i think recycling about 44 percent of household waste um my authority, so Bath and North East Somerset, has been recycling for a long time, so um, we're doing quite well. We recycle 56% of our waste, um, but there's still more waste in those black bin bags that could be being recycled, and that includes plastic waste. Um, I think we've probably all got views on, on how we could get that amount up. Yeah, that's not the same in London. Um, our, we've got one of the, the lowest uh, recycling rates in, 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 the, in the country, I think. Um, it's around 33.5%. It was a lot less um, when um, Sadiq, the Mayor of London, um, was elected. And, and we've got ambitions, obviously, to, to up that to as much as possible to 50%. Um, and the real problem, that, and, and Jess touched on it, is in, in London, we have a, a huge problem in that it's um, largely flats. You know, 80% of, the, the, um, of our building stock are flats. So that means it's really difficult to have the space, for example, to, to recycle or even to recycle separately, um, you know, which would then reduce the contamination as just just pointed out. Um, so a lot of people have to sort of take their um, uh, recycling down into the courtyards or, or, you know, actually some people don't bother at all, which is, you know, some local authorities haven't been um, providing recycling collections to flats and that's another requirement that the mayor has said and we've started to build that up now the other issue is that we have a very highly uh, what they call a transient population so people come to London then move around you know various parts of London and because we don't have a single London-wide system um, with the same uh, approach that people have to sort of learn different um, approaches to what can be recycled and, and uh, you know in their area and when and so on so that means that they're the the, the sort of learnt behavior that people have you know isn't there I mean it's getting better and because we're trying to standardize at least the approach generally across London um, so so those are just a couple of things and then of course the other thing is obviously because you know we're very multi you know it's a huge multicultural city lots of different languages you know so all of these things sort of um, come come together 
to to which has led us to that lower recycling rate. But as I said, we're trying to do more. And and you know, there's a sort of historic issue when um, the the Greater London Council was abolished uh, um, many years ago. So having set up a new um, Greater London Authority, that's helped to to then take waste management become more strategic. So we inherited you know different contractual systems, which is a bit complicated. Basically, it just means to say that. Um, Lots of different systems that that sort of don't work together, so that inhibits recycling. Mike, you and I have both heard all about the logistics of it. You know, we've we've heard exactly how this this policy rolls out and how difficult it is. But scientifically speaking, what actually happens to plastic when it gets recycled? I mean, how does it get back to its original state? Can it ever go back to its original state? What happens chemically? This is a chemistry podcast. Give me the chemistry. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think what's fascinating is to have that logistical perspective from counselors, right? Because not only have I been in a MRF, I've also been in a PERF. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, 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 PERF no, no, is a whole, no, whole other level. No, 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 so, no, you're not allowed to laugh like that. She says PERF and Shirley is like, ha, ah, what's this inside joke? Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, so, so a PERF. So if you imagine you take that, MRF, the material recycling facility, right? And that then segregates the bit of that waste that is plastics, right? Well, that's only the first part of a a big separation journey. So if you were to imagine that milk bottle, well, what you've chosen there as an example is actually the easiest thing and probably the first plastic that was truly circularized. And so that plastic, so the milk bottle is likely made of a polymer called uh, HDPE or high density polyethylene. So very long chain, simple polymer to make, comes from petroleum resources, but is actually a very efficient material. And so what we need to do is to actually segregate it so that we don't have any other plastics in there and ideally segregate it so that all of those different grades or different types of plastics are all similar. And so I want to be able to take that milk bottle and just convert it into milk bottles. And so that requires an extra level of separation, which happens at this plastics recycling facility. And so the PERF complements the MRF, but gives us a bit of extra control over the feedstock. But of course, we don't just have those bottles coming through. And so depending on the council, depending on your local authority, they will collect and recycle different things. So you might see as you move around the country, uh, in one place, it'll be bottles and bottle only. So this is like in Manchester, which is pretty poor uh, in terms of the amount of material that they recycle, uh, but at least it gets recycled. Um, We then have uh, what are called pots, tubs, and trays. And so you might make a decision to also recycle pots, tubs, and trays. But even within those just bottles or just trays, you have a lot of complexity. And so I'll give you an example of that. One of the classic materials you see in plastic packaging is called polyethylene terephthalate or PET. So uh, PET bottles, tubs, trays all exist, but for a very small subset of plastic trays, they're actually lined with that same HDPE. So for some reason, a package needs to be or wants to be lined with a different polymer. And as soon as you have those two plastics together, when you go onto that next step, everything falls apart. And so the purity of the stream, whether that is uh, the contaminants that Shirley mentioned earlier about needing to rinse out your containers or the contaminants because we're mixing different plastics together make the next step really difficult. 
because the next step involves us taking those plastics, melting them down and pushing them through what's called an extruder. And we basically reprocess those materials. So we're not taking them back to their original forms. We're actually messing with them again. And that messing with them means we're using pretty high temperatures, not nearly as high as required for glass or aluminum, but we put a lot of force and what we call shear forces on that material. And so we're really wrecking the molecules. And as we keep doing that, we see little defects come in and we'll slowly see degradation of those plastics happen, which means when we make a new milk bottle, it's not quite as good as that first milk bottle. And so we always have to top it up. We use a little bit of our recycled content and then we take new plastic that is made and mesh those together to make uh, a new product. And this is where this phrase recycled content comes in. You're looking at to maximize the percentage that you can actually put in to make your new product as that's gone through a perf. I feel as though this in-depth, um, like in-depth recycling knowledge that all three of you have, I feel, I feel like a student. I feel like a child, as I've said, it's very, very, very weird. Now I didn't ask either Jess or Shirley this, but Mike, I think you might be able to answer it. Like when you go to a, a Murph or a Perf somewhere here on earth, um, like how does this recycling work? Like, are there people actually doing the recycling? Is it just chemicals throwing there? Is it a mechanical process? Like, how does this work? What is doing the work in this? Yeah, so it, it depends on where you are. Uh, so in some instances, it's really important to make those right decisions and to ensure that you're getting the right type of segregation in order to do that next step of the process. So you will in some parts of the country, although it's becoming increasingly rare, to have actual human pickers choosing specific waste out of a stream to be able to then go and recycle it. More often than not, then uh, this is sort of alluded to by, by Shirley, you would have a conveyor belt and that conveyor belt would be looking spectroscopically. So it would be shining different forms of light uh, onto your material and then looking at certain chemical signatures to separate out those different materials. So uh, again, because this is a chemistry podcast, I can lay down things like esters. So if you were to take a chemical functionality, which is called an ester, it uh, is unique because it vibrates in a very specific way. And so we can use that molecular vibration to sort out esters from all of our other materials. And so polyethylene terephthalate, it's a polyester. And so I can easily look at that using uh, spectroscopic techniques and separate it. And that's all done in an automation, right? And so uh, what Shirley described with the jets of air, you're just popping things up or down based on whether they have this uh, specific molecular signature. Once that's segregated though, then predominantly it is a uh, mechanical process. So we would call that mechanical recycling. And that is by far uh, if not really the only way we're recycling right now in the United Kingdom, although there are emerging techniques that would probably complement mechanical recycling in the future. Wow. Okay. So Shirley and Jess, like you both gave this really amazing overview of it all in your sort of specific locations. Now, you know, this stuff is really important to you both recycling. And I mean, what would you say 
is is preventing us from having like most efficient recycling system um, well i think there's some confusion amongst um consumers uh, about which plastics can be recycled um and that's not helped by the the problem that shirley mentioned earlier on you know when you move to different parts of the country there are different systems in place so everyone has a different idea of what they think is recyclable and what isn't um so for example my mother-in-law is always putting crazy things in in my recycling box that i know can't be recycled i think a more efficient approach in the future would be to have greater consistency across all local authorities. Um, and then we can start to really um, educate people and give them the information they need about um, how to put, uh, put better quality recyclables into the recycling box. So rinse them out, you know, take the plastic films off, that kind of thing, um, and just make the whole process work better. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, um, and I think the other thing um, I'd say is that, you know, we really want to promote reduction in, in, in use of of our resources so uh, and particularly single-use plastic so we're doing a lot of work you know not just us in London and I'm sure Jess is too um, on on how do we promote the circular economy and really get people thinking about um, not consuming so much um, reduce the waste that you do produce reuse as far as possible Um, you know we've got lots of things that we're doing in London around for example plastic bottles you know um, rolling out a network of drinking water fountains so that people can stop using single-use plastic bottles or refill points that we've got with this great company so that you can go into a restaurant or um, a sort of sandwich bar or whatever that has a sign and you can say can I just top up my water bottle but I think you know just just going back to, to what Mike was saying about the, um, the the sort of mechanical approach or the sort of mechanized approach we have in in, in this country we're, we're very lucky you know but you know a lot of our waste a lot of our plastics go abroad you know it's exported um, and their conditions are appalling, you know, um, you, you're using, you know, hundreds of people, waste pickers, they're called, or, or you know, who, who go through rubbish dumps and to pick out the plastics are then, you know, then uh, going, going through processes that probably aren't as regulated as well as they are here. So, you know, our waste policies are both, you know, a, a sort of social justice policy in trying to minimize the exporting of um, of our waste abroad and dealing with it at home you know tackling the climate emergency by not producing so much waste and then you know using those fossil fuel resources that make up plastics and 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 our, and our other goods so so you know whilst you think just just recycling is just a, a you know the thing that you're doing in your kitchen you know, or from your bathroom or whatever um actually it's all part of this massive global system that, that has interconnections and and you know, has consequences on people's lives. Good to think about that as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, what the, there's a lot of reasons why the export of waste happens in the UK, but they're economic. Really, we don't take responsibility for our waste and we need to. And, you know, we've been lobbying for a long time to stop the export of waste. But the reality is, is that we don't have the infrastructure in the United Kingdom to handle the volumes of plastics that we're using. And we, you know, you look at, at how rare those perfs are compared to the MRFs. Um, you know, we're, we're really small potatoes. They're much more like Smurfs than, than the MRFs, which are the big boys. Uh, and, and that's a real challenge because not only are we exporting waste, we actually do have quite a lot of commitments to increase the recycled content in our products, and we're in we're importing recycled plastic. So we're exporting plastic to who knows where. We're importing other people's plastic to put it in our products so we can feel better about ourselves. We have to take responsibility of our waste, which starts, as just said, with consistent collections across at least England, if not also including uh, the devolved nations, and having a responsibility to actually process it at home. 
the very rare situations where a plastic is not actually recyclable, right? The issue is that it's not recycled. There are so many factors to take into account. Like, you know, the example I gave of like a milk bottle, that's super simple. But if I look in my kitchen, it is, it's very complex. I've got like all these different types of, of plastics. I've got water bottles. I've got like black bags that say they're, they're like compostable. I've got, or compostable, they're recyclable. I've got all, all these different plastics that, that need to be recycled. I mean, does that add an extra layer of difficulty, you know, from a, I say from a government, but from a, like a policy perspective, like logistically, I think it doesn't help if there's if there's not a clear picture for consumers about what can be recycled and what can't. Um, and at the moment, you know, we're, we're asking a lot of our residents, you know, you need to go and check the website and find out exactly what type of plastic you can put in your green bin. And with the best will in the world, not everyone's got the time and space to do that. So we need to make it easier for people. Um, and at the same time, is encouraging encourage this shift so people view what they put out in their recycling boxes differently. You know, it's not just waste that you're throwing away. You're actually putting out a valuable resource which needs to re-enter, um, you know, our, our, our waste economy, basically, or our, our material economy. Yeah, I think language is really important there. Our use of the word waste makes it seem like this material has no value. And I think that that's a real culture shift to being able to to take this as a resource that we want to exploit uh, and get value from. We run a project which is called One Bin to Rule Them All. And it actually looks at this concept of how you actually create value in a system, right? But it's really hard because you have all of these different actors in the supply chain and each of them have a different uh, perspective on where their bit of it is the most profitable. And that means that the system stagnates and things don't change. And so you get legislation that's really not fit for purpose and systems which are our legacy systems that don't evolve. You know, we're talking about all of this um, as it stands right now, but Shirley, you mentioned something earlier that I thought was really interesting and just want to expand a bit. Like over the last, let's say, 20 years, I mean, how has our, our not relationship, but how has recycling changed, especially here in, in London, I guess? How, how has it changed? Is, has it been a big shift? Uh, certainly it has. And in, in London, you know, sort of 20 years ago, you just sort of put your, 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 your rubbish out in your bin uh, or, a, or a black bag and then it would go away and then you wouldn't think about it and it would go to a landfill primarily so 97 I think percent of our lungs wasted you know some time ago would just go to landfill but then the government introduced um, partly because we were part of the European Union and we had some landfill policies and uh, you know recycling policies but um, a landfill tax which then meant that local authorities started to, you know it was more expensive to, to, to send waste to landfill. So they would start to think about recycling more. And that really helped um, encourage more recycling. And, and that sort of meant that, we, you know, much less of our waste is now going to landfill. It's dropped to probably about 3% now. And we hope by 2026 in London, no more of our waste will be going to landfill. However, it hasn't necessarily driven um, uh, an increase in recycling in, in, uh, in our uh, waste because a lot of it is going now to incineration. So, uh, or what some people call energy from waste plants, only if they're capturing the energy. So that's that's a big problem, I think. Um, and there are some people who say that, you know, that it's affected recycling rates because although technically it's counted as part of the waste hierarchy, um, and if you capture the heat um, and, the, and use it for electricity, um, then, then it can technically count as recycling. 
it isn't the, the, the sort of what we would call the, the proper recycling of, of, you know, as part of a circular economy, um, but it's better than landfill in terms of uh, in, in environmental terms. So, so yeah, massive changes. And of course, now the big change is really trying to get people to understand how much this is all connected to tackling climate change, resource efficiency, and that that circular economy that, that I talked about um, is really about how the, the, the jobs that we need now, particularly post-pandemic, you know, and um, as we're tackling, uh, as we're in the year of COP26 as well, you know, we really should be moving to these new clean green jobs. I mean, like, how do you get people to change their recycling behavior i mean surely because like i i think of someone that i i think of myself as someone who who wants to recycle as much as possible but i know there are some people who sort of do it if they can um, but they're not going to make any concerted like effort to go out their way to do it so how do you get people to do it on mass you know in a big city in a big country well i think jess talked about it it's about consistency of services and making it easy for people so you know I, I talked about the different systems that operate in London but you know because we've inherited this historically and we're trying to overlay a requirement that everybody tries to collect the same you know same um, materials the same six set of materials so at least if you're in London and different boroughs you know that you can recycle those but that how they do it is different and we don't have any control over that so ideally government would start to mandate some of those things and in fact they are so for example food waste collection appallingly you know you can't recycle food waste in every london borough and probably every london uh, every local authority across the country government are talking about that coming in 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 a few years time finally um but you know that's going to require massive changes in you know collection um systems and infrastructure getting people to understand you know it's fine to you know to put food waste out you know because there's all concerns about you know vermin and and so on and you know it's educating people on how you do that um hygienically and safely so a lot of it is about education but but the the main thing is providing the service in the first place so that it's easy to use and then providing the information so that people don't have to go out and find the information as well Jess do you see the the same thing where you are Yes, yeah. The thing I would add to what Shirley said is it's is also providing the equipment. I mean, I think it's probably the one thing where you can get stuff from your local authority for free. So, um, it, you know, I mentioned that uh, Bath has this system of very segregated uh, recycling. Um, so you have these two green boxes, you have a big blue bag for your cardboard, you have a black bin uh, waste, um, and then you have an indoor food caddy and an outdoor food caddy, which locks securely so you don't have that vermin problem. All of that stuff is given to each household for free. So that, it, you know, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to go through these steps to sort their waste. Um, um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's really important. And then the other step we've taken in terms of encouraging people to put less stuff in their black bin is um, reducing the size of black bins. So each family, uh, depending on your family size, has a, a limited capacity of black bin waste, which is only collected fortnightly, whereas you're recycling services weekly so you know the push is you recycle every week you recycle and every two weeks your residual waste is collected and I think that shift is really important for um you know communicating the the, the message to people oh my god I just realized uh by I just realized I told my mum um who I was speaking to today and um she wanted me to ask I guess this is one mainly for Shirley and uh, Jess will know this too Shirley why why do the bins in different boroughs in London actually why are the bins in different parts of the country why do they come on different days 
I would, wouldn't it make more sense to have everything happen the same day? Everything would be collected like the same time. I'm sure there's a really specific reason why. And you probably get asked this all the time whenever you go anywhere. But I kind of need to know. And the listeners, of course, <laughs> need to know. But I need to know. Well, I thought you were going to ask me why they're all different colours. And that's that's another that's problem. That's obvious. It's so blooming confusing about it. sometimes it's blue and sometimes it's green. Uh, and again, we can't mandate that in, in you know, as, as, you know, by the mayor of London. But it's something we've been arguing with government for a long time because it would make things so much easier for people to understand what they're doing. And in terms of collection services, Jess probably knows much better because I'm not sort of au fait with the, the intricacies of it. But I bet it's to, to do with cost, I think, and logistics. But Jess, I don't know. Oh, it's done in rounds. So in our local authority, they're collecting bins every day apart from Sundays. And it just depends where you live. Um, and that because we have this fortnightly collection, you have a little postcode service as well where you can type in which bin collection you've got tomorrow because everyone's always forgetting. Um, and it's black bin one day, uh, sorry, one week, garden waste the next week and then every week recycling. Um, so, yeah, the bin men are out every day or bin, bin people rather. <laughs> OK, actually, also, how come um, now Mike isn't here? We can get fully into it. <laughs> Okay, so Jess, you know, you, you've said that, um, you know, in, in Bath, uh, North East Somerset, you have very specific colours for your bins. And in surely in different parts in London, you know, you have different colours. Why are the colours different? This is a very specific podcast episode now. It's no longer about plastic. It's now just <laughs> finding out about bin colours. It's because at the moment there's no need for uniformity and each local authority sets up its own collection regime. And it is crazy, but that's just how it is at the moment. So we all do it our own way in the way we think makes sense. But it, it makes it very difficult for your average person who might live here for a while there. The main thing is you've got to check your local authority's website. When I moved to Manchester, I moved five minutes, like I rented a house and then I moved five minutes walk away and all my bins colored color changed. Like there's just absolutely no consistency. And it's this idea of, oh, my God, we're a local council. Let's reinvent the wheel and create everything new. And the, it's great to have that responsibility because some of those councils are really ambitious and have done some fantastic things. But it creates a real limitation because you're depending upon consumers who care, right? And the reality is that consistency needs to be up around 90, 95% if you actually want to make better quality recycling. And to do that, you can't just depend upon people who care about the environment. You have to change everyone's behavior. Okay, and I mean, Shirley, this is one for you. Just looking at a larger level, I mean, what role does science play when you're creating these, these policies for recycling? I mean, how do you get the information? How do you use that? Well, you know, we when we um, were um, developing the London Environment Strategy, you know, it's all based on on evidence. You know, we look at the data from a whole host of um, organisations to make sure that we get the best policies, and then we go out to consult about how, you know, what what do Londoners think and want. So one of the things was, you know, how popular would it be um, to try and you know mandate across London, you know, the collection of six materials, you know albeit the mayor doesn't have powers to make the local authorities do that but recognizing that um um you know that that's the the route we've gone down so science is is is, is you know very important and not least because um you know we we see ourselves as a uh, as a route for getting those new green jobs as well so getting people to understand you know about how this all works and uh, and the potential for this in in helping as i said tackle the climate emergency help us recover from the the economic and social impacts from the pandemic you know it, it's absolutely critical and mike you know when you're doing 
your work are you seeing have you been seeing real change recently when it comes to recycling people's use and recycling how i guess recycling technology has moved forward or are we all still at the same stage from your perspective i think there is a desire for change and i don't necessarily see change uh and so there are a lot of well-meaning people, so uh, much more environmental advocacy uh, and many more people who care about these things. But if there is not a system which really enables it, then sometimes there are decisions that can have unintended consequences, right? Um, you know, the contamination of our recycling stream with compostable products has been a real problem because it degrades the quality of the recycled product in the first place and takes us away from the circular economy. And so many things which look, look externally like they're, they're much better are actually really dangerous because they have unintended consequences. And Shirley had brought up reuse earlier. And I, I think reuse is an essential part of the economy as it moves towards sort of true circularity. But if that's launched in the wrong way, it can actually have significant unintended consequences. Because if you switch materials, you have to think about the total carbon footprint of that material itself, right? And uh, if you just switch from something which is plastic and recycled to something which is much heavier, and therefore you're releasing more energy in terms of transporting it around or has much more energy in its production, you can have an unintended consequence because you've now increased your carbon footprint, even though you've switched to something that's more circular. Okay. Okay. And so, I'm just gonna, okay. sorry, just I should have added actually. Just you know, when we talk about you know, the importance of science, that you know, we do a lot of work with our um, um, universities around London, Imperial, and others. You know, because I talked about green jobs, but actually, it's about you know fostering innovation and entrepreneurship and so on. And we we run a competition called the Mayor's Entrepreneur Awards. Um, in sort of various sort of um, areas, one of which is environment. And this year's winner was, um, I can't remember the name, but um, they are looking to recycle um, the dye out of materials so that you then get a plain um, sort of colourless uh, product, which can then be used and uh, reused and whatever, because the dyeing then contaminates and uh, the, the material and inhibits recycling. So that that, you know, they're a bunch of, um, scientists, engineers coming up with this idea uh, and we have various sort of programs that where we help fund um, these startups so they just want a prize to help then um, try and build this out and try and commercialize it. So when, when we talk about science you know it's absolutely as I said critical to, to, to the jobs that we want but also to, to creating those new products and processes that are less harmful to the environment. Wow. I mean, Jess, just looking at you know, all this work that you know goes into this, imagine, let's say, like 10 years in the future. I'm going to ask everyone this question, so think up your answers. But like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future, where do you think that will be in terms of like a council level? What do you think recycling is going to look like? What do you hope it's going to look like? Well, I, I hope we'll have made significant progress nationally uh, to kind of up the proportion of our household waste that is recycled. So I think um, it's been quite stagnant for the last decade. So I hope we're going to make another another leap forward. Um, and, and more and more of that black bin line of waste that people put out is actually going to be diverted into stuff that's recycled. And there's a less uh, reduced amount of it um, produced overall. But I, what I'd also like to see is uh, just more conscious consumers, people thinking about the packaging and the products they buy. Is this is this something I can recycle? 
do I really want to buy this? Do I need to buy it in a throwaway container? Because uh, I think at the moment, um, and particularly over the pandemic, we've seen so much thoughtless consumption of, of stuff in packaging. Um, and that really needs to change, I think, in, in, in our generation. Mike, what about you? 10, 20, 30 years in the future, where do you see us with recycling? I, I mean, I'll go a little bit more sciencey, perhaps. I, I actually think that we have an opportunity because the infrastructure here is not very good to invest in the right infrastructure and to have zero plastic release into the environment. And so I, th- I think that's very different than a zero plastic future because really what it is is it's saying, let's treat plastic the same way we treat water, right? I mean, nobody goes to a tap in the United Kingdom and goes, oh my God, am I going to be able to drink this, right? Certainly it tastes better in Manchester than in London, sorry. Uh, but it's, it's, it's safe, right? We take care of that. And so my hope is that we have the technologies ready. There are really interesting pilots that are happening across the United Kingdom. It's about rolling those out in the right way and in a consistent way. And so that means we have mechanical recycling, which we already talked about, joint with chemical recycling or biodegradation to be able to really circularize all of the plastics that we have. Shirley, you know, looking at this environmentally, energy-wise, like recycling, 10, 20, 30 years in the future, what do you hope? Where do you hope that we will be? Well, we have an ambition to be um, a zero waste city. And by that, we mean really, you know, we, we can't ever not have, you know, some plastics, you know, some necessary plastics. But, you know, we'd want, for example, the government are bringing in this sort of producer responsibility legislation that as much of that, the products that we consume in the future will be made out of recycled recycled products or, or materials so that we're not wasting those really precious resources we have uh, you know in this in this planet um, and that you know that the people you know it's just that you know are conscious about what what they um, what they're doing and and do you really need to consume as much you know my experience of of, of, of you know the pandemic and lockdown is, is is a sort of mixture of either that sort of throwaway but also people sort of realizing actually I don't need so much stuff and you know why do I need to buy so many clothes or can I reuse can I repair so a lot of the work we're doing now uh, as part of um, the work that the mayor is doing on a green new deal uh, for London and sort of London's green recovery is looking at sort of uh, you know how might we boost some of those activities around repair and reuse and create those those jobs that, that people are realizing actually um you know you don't have to buy new all the time you can actually repair things and reuse them for longer and so i mean this comes to my final question for the three of you i think you know having listened to all of this our listeners coming to the end of the episode i mean what is one thing that you wish that people knew about recycling so I, there, I think that leads on to, to my takeaway uh, is that it doesn't matter if something is recyclable if it is not recycled. So just because you put it into a container, if that's going to energy from waste, that's not recyclable. Let's stop kidding ourselves. We have to truly circularize these products and these plastics. And so there is too much focus on the potential fate of materials instead of on the actual fate of materials. And I think that's really important to understand is whether or not we are actually in this country recycling the things that we say we're recycling. I think um, familiarise yourself with your local authorities uh, recycling regime and what they pick up. 
And the second one, really practical, is rinse out your containers and reattach the lids when you squeeze the air out of your bottles. This is why living in Bath was so confusing. Because I asked for one and you gave me two. And then the next <laughs> week, three, and the following week, I'll get zero. And then they'll, the KFC won't be open past 8 p.m. That's why London is superior because our takeaways are open until two in the morning. Oh. In my, yeah, I know. All right. Canesham, not lit. Mitcham, lit. Now, <laughs> with that in mind, Shirley, I know. I'm gassing you up for uh, for your one. What is one thing that you wish people could understand about recycling? What would you want them to take away from this? Yes, it's something we talked about a bit earlier, you know, that, that what you do in, you know, from your home has a global impact. So, um, and we talked about um, the, the working conditions of waste pickers and, 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 you know, the environmental impact of using fossil fuels and so on. But, but just recycle, just start. And if you're already doing something in your kitchens, you know, we've got a campaign in London where you say stick an extra bag in your bathroom so that your recyclables in your bathroom, you know, you start to think about those and then recycle those. So then you're doing a little bit more. Um, I'd, I'd start with that. But, you know, I absolutely agree with what Mike is saying and, and Jess has said as well. You know, it, this is a big system. It's complicated, but, but we really just need everybody to do their bit. Well, thank you so much, the three of you, for taking time out, being involved with this and listening to me ramble about things. And, you know, all of us coming together for that eventual trip to the Murph and then Perth. We can, it'll be fun. All right. We can, we can all have fun talking about this kind of stuff. But thank you so much. Thank you. I really thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Brought to You by Chemistry. It was produced by Hiran Joshi and Elizabeth Ratcliffe and presented by me, Dr. Alex Lathbridge. Join us next week for even more recycling. Dr. Jenny Garden and MP Mark Pawsey will be joining us as we explore the science of what makes a plastic recyclable and how we might go around designing the perfect plastic. If you want to learn a bit more about the RSC and plastics, you can visit RSC dot li slash plastics. See you next time.